Good morning. Who am I? What is your response? What comes to your mind immediately when you're asked that question? Do you think of your role in life? Do you think, I'm a student, I'm a mom, I'm a teacher, I'm a nurse? Do you think of your strengths? I have good marks. I own this business. I play this sport. I lead this program. Do you think of your weaknesses? Oh, I'm lazy. I'm selfish. I'm an angry parent. I'm a failure. I'm a mess. Or do you think of your past? Do you think I'm a recovering alcoholic? I'm a divorced woman. I'm a, I'm a failed dad. Who do you say that you are? And why is it so important that we can ask that question? We're doing a series of loving well right now. And whether we like it or not, our ability to love God and love others is so intimately tied with who we are. The two greatest commandments can't be separated from who you are and how you answer that question. So let's just pray and invite the Holy Spirit to, to speak to us during this time. Jesus, I thank you that you created us, that you made us, and you desire to show us our identity. You desire to show us who we are in you. And so I ask, Holy Spirit, that our eyes and our heart would be open today, that you would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation, that we would know you better, that you would enlighten us to the hope to which we've been called today. Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's look at Mark 12, 28 to 31. This is kind of the theme verse for the entire series we're doing for the next nine months. And it says this. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, love the Lord your God. Whoops. The Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Do you hear how many times it talks about you in there? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your passions, your interests, your desires, your personality, the very core of who you are. Love God with that. Love God with all your soul. Love him with your mind, your will, your emotions. That's your mind, your choices, your thoughts, your intentions. Love God with all your strength, your strength. This is where you get to take your love, your um, strengths, the way you've been wired, your time, your energy, your resources. You're invited to love God with who you are. And finally, love others as you love yourself. Do you know who you are? Do you value who you are? Do you love yourself? Because if you don't love yourself, it's really hard to love God and to love others. When we don't know who we are, insecurity starts to seep in. Inadequacy starts to creep into our lives. We actually begin to want to please people because we're afraid of what they're going to think of us. And we start to live in fear because we think our value comes from what people think about us. We become very aware of what we lack. And we can actually begin struggling with, comp with comparing to other people and being envious of what they have and what we don't. We can even begin to hate ourselves when we don't know who we are. 
How can I possibly love God when I hate his creation, me? And we can get to the point where we actually get lost in our own selfish worlds, our own issues, and we're way too distracted to love anyone well, let alone ourselves. This September, I began a new role here at The Rock. I had been a youth pastor for the last five years, and I began a role as an associate pastor with our outreach staff. And I started to see some of these things sneak in into my life. I started to see some insecurity coming out and some fear of what they thought of me and some um, inadequacy in my job. You see, ever since I've been 19, I've worked with teenagers. I know how to work with teenagers in the context of ministry. I was a teacher of teenagers for many years. Um, but all of a sudden now I'm working with these competent young adults who already rock their jobs. What do I have to offer them? And what if they don't like having me as their boss? They had Pastor Dallas. And I started feeling this internal struggle where I was like, careful, I didn't know if I should say what I was gonna say because I was afraid of what they were gonna think. And I realized I have an issue here. Like I'm, I'm struggling with who I am. I've forgotten. I've lost sight of it. And I remember one day leaving, going, I need to go home and spend, spend some time with Jesus and figure out who I am again. And as I did that, of course, he always is faithful to show us who we are. Um, but I can't lead well if I'm insecure. I can't love well if I'm insecure. God is asking me to be myself. He's not asking me to be Pastor Dallas. He's not asking me to be Pastor Dwayne. He's asking me to be Brianna and to bring Brianna to the table. I don't know if you've had an identity crisis before. Um, I've had a few of them where I'm like, who the heck is the real Brianna? I do not know right now. And sometimes when we move through seasons of life, we have those identity crises. I know I went to school for 20 years. By the time I finished elementary, high school, university, and Bible school, I had gone to school for 20 years. And who was I when I was no longer a student? That was a big change. Who are you when you move from single to married? Or for those of you who um, had kids at home and now you don't have kids at home, who are you when, when, when there's no kids there anymore? Who are you when a long-term relationship ends? Um, when you're no longer at a certain job, when you're no longer doing what you loved? I think of my husband who was an athlete the majority of his life. And then because of knee injuries and because of too much pain to function in sports anymore, he was no longer an athlete. It was hard for him. Who am I with, without being an athlete? A significant time when I really struggled with my identity was actually in my mid-20s. Um, I was in my dream job at this time. I absolutely loved what I was doing. I had been a pretty together girl. Um, I was loving Jesus and loving what he had called me to do. And within one year, the, three, the, the four nasty M's happened to me. I got mono, um, I went mental, um, I got married, and I, uh, I uh, got maxed out, and I burnt out, and I crashed really bad. Um, I spiritually, emotionally, relationally, physically, I, I crashed. It was not very pretty, just ask my husband who was newly married to this person. Um, and I became very, very angry. I was disillusioned with God. I was disillusioned with the church. I became super depressed. Um, I was forced to quit my job. It was re recommended to me because I wasn't keeping it together. Um, and I didn't know who I was anymore. Who was I when I didn't have it all together? Who was I when I was struggling and felt like a com complete failure? Who was I when I wasn't accomplishing anything anymore? And that was probably one of the hardest seasons of my life, and I wouldn't recommend going through that. 
But yet, what I gained as a revelation of who I was through that, I'd do it again. Because <laughs> it was so valuable for me to realize that apart from my performance, apart from my accomplishments, apart from what people thought about me or didn't think about me, I realized I was a daughter of God. And I was his precious child, and nothing could change that. Even in the middle of my mess and even in the middle of my brokenness, he loved me just for being me. And it changed my life. And that's been a foundation that I've functioned out of ever since then. But yes, it gets tested, as I told you this last fall. It already did. Um, but Jesus is our ultimate example. And he was deeply secure in who he was and what he was called to do. And we see this displayed in um, the temptation in the desert. But before we look at the temptations, let's just look to what happened right before that in Matthew chapter 3, verse 16 to 17. And this is Jesus' baptism. And so it says in verse 16, As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son who I love. With him I am well pleased. That was God's heart for Jesus before he began his earthly ministry, before he had performed a miracle, before he had preached the kingdom, before he had died on the cross and fulfilled the purpose for which he came. That was God's heart for him. And that is how Jesus flowed his entire three years of ministry out of that foundation. But that's how Jesus sees you too. That is who you are. You want to answer the question, who, I, who am I? That is who you are. You are a son or a daughter of the Father, and he loves you, and he's pleased with you. Do you believe that? Because we often don't live like that. Let's see if we can say this together. I want you to say, I am God's son or daughter. Ready? I am God's daughter, whom he loves. He is pleased with me. That's the truth. And if you're not a Christian here and you say, I don't know if I'm God's child. I don't know if he loves me. I don't know if he's pleased with me. I want you to know that he created you and that he desires desperately for a relationship with you. He wants you to be his child. That's the reason he came. You don't have to earn that spot. You just have to receive it. You just have to say, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need a savior. And I recognize that you're that savior that came for me and I receive you into my life. Make me God's child, and he will. And it's a free gift that you just receive. There's no one that is eliminated from this opportunity to be God's child and to be his beloved, for him to be pleased with you and proud of you. So now he goes into the desert to be tempted by the devil. So let's read Matthew 4, verses 1 to 11. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the highest city and had him stand on the high point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, 
He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in all their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. So the Spirit of God led him into the desert, and he was with him. The Spirit of God was with Jesus through these temptations. So let's look at the first temptation. If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Satan was challenging Jesus to prove his identity with his actions. If you who are who you say you are, then prove it. Act like it. Do something to show me that's who you are. How can you be the son of God, Jesus, and be deprived of food? Like here you are, starving and exhausted, and that's not right. Use your power. Change these stones into bread. You can do this, Jesus. I know you can. Could Jesus do it? Absolutely. Jesus was being challenged by Satan to, to do a miracle to provide for his own needs in that moment. Was God asking him to do that? No, Satan was asking him to do that. And you see, Jesus had set aside his divinity. He was fully human in that moment. He was hungry. Imagine going 40 days without food. In that moment, he wasn't to tap into his God divinity and turn those stones into bread. He had placed himself in total surrender and submission to the Father. God was his source. That wasn't who Jesus was in that moment. It wasn't about Jesus' comfort or his wants. He knew he was more than his physical body. There was so much more to life than the natural realm in satisfying his flesh. And Jesus says to Satan, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. There was another time when the disciples had brought Jesus food. This was when he was ministering to the Samaritan woman. And the disciples are confused, like, did he get food from somewhere that we don't know about? And Jesus says to them, my food is to do the will of the Father and to finish his work. See, Jesus' food was to live and to please and obey his Father only. Does the enemy ever come to you and say, if you're a child of God, why is your life so tough? Why are you going through what you're going through? Satan calls into question God's goodness in your life, just like he did with Adam and Eve. Satan might come and say, why do you, how can you call yourself a Christian if you're struggling with that sin habit? If you're a child of God, you're not very, doing a very good job of acting like one. Has anyone heard that nattering in your ear? God must be pretty disappointed in you right now. He's mad at you. You're not worthy of his love. You better get it together. And he just natters away. Seriously, he does. And Jesus answered Satan by shining the light of God's truth on the lies that he was dishing out. And we have that same weapon. He didn't use his divinity in that moment. He didn't tap into something that we don't have access to. He used the word of God, the truth of who God said he was in that moment to shatter those lies. And we can say, shut up, devil. I'm not listening to you. I am forgiven. I am a child of God. I am loved by my father. Yeah, I'm not perfect right now, but guess what? He's the author of my faith and he's the finisher of my faith and I'm in process, but I am still his beloved child and he is pleased with me. 
So back off. And we have that same authority. We are not defined by our good deeds or our bad deeds. We are defined by the cross of Christ. But do we live like that? So often, I freak out on my kids and mess up and feel like a bad mom, and I go down this spiral path of, oh, I'm such a failure, I'm such a mess, blah, blah, blah. No! I am a dearly loved child of God who messed up and can come running to my dad and say, hey, Jesus, help me. Help me have patience. Help me to be kind. Help me to be gentle. But so quickly we default. We default to forgetting who we are, who we really are in those moments. Um, we did a series on the identity in Christ in the spring, and we had some bookmarks. And um, Pastor Dallas hopefully can find those, and we can put them on the back table. And if you need to know who you are in Christ, you need to take one of those bookmarks and use that as your weapon against the enemy. See, Jesus didn't have to do something to prove who he was. He was the son of God, and he was 100% loved by his father. You don't have to do a thing to have value. You are God's child. You didn't do anything to become his child, and you don't have to do anything to maintain being his child. That's the truth of who you are. Second temptation. If you are the son of God, Jesus, throw yourself down, for the angels will catch you. First of all, Satan didn't fully quote Psalm 91. He left out some important words there. How often does Satan twist scripture in our lives? Oh, it doesn't really look like God's providing all your needs, does it? Or, oh, it doesn't really look like everything's working out for the good in your life, does it, Brianna? And he takes scripture and throws it in your face and twists it. But what's really interesting about this passage, and I didn't know this before, but according to ancient Jewish writing, there was a belief, a traditional belief, that the Messiah would actually show himself to Israel by standing on the roof of the temple. So if Jesus did what Satan suggested, this would actually fulfill the messianic expectation of that day. And it would have been a spectacular event. Satan would have been tempting Jesus to, this is your chance. You've been a nobody for 30 years, and this is your chance to show yourself as the Messiah. This is your chance to impress the crowds. This is your chance to be recognized and be noticed. This is when you will gain their applause. They will know who you are, and you will wow them. That was not God's way, was it? That was not how Jesus was called to be. Plus, he responds to Satan, says, don't put the Lord your God to the test. See, Jesus hadn't, hadn't been told by his father to jump off the temple. So he couldn't expect God to, God's angels to catch him because he was not doing what God had asked him to do. You see, Jesus, who Jesus really was, was he knew he came as a humble, suffering servant that was going to be a lamb that was slain. He didn't come as a flashy, militant, conquering king wanting to overthrow the Romans, even though that's what they really hoped he was going to do. Jesus wasn't on this earth to get people to like him or approve of him. He disappointed people, and he didn't feel the need to explain himself. He walked past a lot of people with needs, and he didn't fix their circumstances. He wasn't moved when he was misunderstood or misjudged. He wasn't into impressing the crowds and giving them what they asked for. He knew his purpose, and he stayed true to it. His own family thought he was crazy and out of his mind. 
People from his hometown of Nazareth took offense at him. They even tried to kill him at one point. The teachers of the law said he was possessed by demons. And many of his disciples left him and stopped following him when he gave teaching on being the bread of life. And even after Jesus died on the cross, the two men walking down the road of Emmaus, one of them says, we had hoped he would have been the one to redeem Israel. They had, pictured, they had a picture of who Jesus was that he didn't live up to. But Jesus didn't have to impress people to prove who he was. He could stay true to who he was and his purpose and not be swayed by people's opinions and expectations. You don't need people's affirmation and approval to have value. You are God's child, and that is enough. The third temptation. I will give you all the kingdoms of this world if you will worship me. Jesus had come to take back the kingdoms of the world from the enemy that had been, ha- that had been handed to him through the fall. And Satan was trying to get Jesus to take a shortcut and not stay true to his boss. If Satan would have convinced Jesus to do this, our salvation would not be possible. I don't know if you watched the Bible series video that Pastor Dallas posted on the email. If you haven't seen it yet, the Bible series um, depicts the temptation of Jesus. And I love this part um, where Satan is presenting Jesus with the kingdoms of the world. And Jesus has flashbacks between the crown of thorns, not fun, or a crown being placed on his head by Pilate in honor and in blessing and acknowledging you are the king. What do you want, Jesus? Which one? Do you want the nails through your feet? Or do you want them kissing and washing your feet and recognizing you as king? You see, God's kingdom is upside down. It goes against the flow of the world. But Satan tempts us to get caught up in the ways of the world and find our value there instead of in Christ. My husband and I, when we got married, we were in our 20s, and we had nothing. Um, So we were quite happy when people gave us their junk to start our new home. So we had my grandma's 70s floral couch, which rocked our living room for a very long time. And we, that was our couch. And my bedroom set from the time I was eight years old was our new married bedroom set, night table and dresser. Um, And we were fine with that because we didn't have anything else. We're in our 20s, right? We're poor. Um, But as we get older and we are in our 40s, all of a sudden the enemy starts, oh, how are you keeping up with the Joneses now? Maybe you don't have a floral couch, but the couch you have is pretty old and dirty. And um, how much stuff do you have to prove that, you know, you're successful in this world? And you start feeling like, do I have their big enough house? Do I have a good enough car? We hang out with lots of hockey parents. And trust me, they have a whole lot more money and more stuff than we do. And we can feel, start to feel like, oh, I'm kind of a failure in the eyes of the world. And, you know, I didn't have time to give this scripture to the people who did the PowerPoint bless them, but I want to read it anyways. It's 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 to 17. And I love how it says it in the New Living Translation. It says, do not love this world or the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, 
a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away, along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what it pleases God will live forever. What are you after? What are you craving? What is Satan throwing in your face, tempting you to put before God? And he's not outright saying, oh, if you worship me, I will give this to you. But anything we put before God is idolatry, which is essentially worshiping Satan, right? We worship God or we worship Satan. And so what is it that he puts before you? Is it influence? Is it power? Is it success? Is it money? Is it possessions? Is it popularity? Is it peace? Is it meaning? Is it love? What is he counterfeitly offering you um, to get you to embrace that does, is not the way that God has for you? You see, the true way, that's my time to wrap it up. The true way, <laughs> I was supposed to catch it before it buzzed. Um, the true way to find life is through surrender. The true way to find love and meaning and success and peace and riches that last forever is the way of the cross, is the way of surrender, is the way of God's way. Jesus said to Satan, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And in the Bible series video, the look on Jesus' face, I love it. It gets right in the face of Satan. He says, I will worship the Lord my God and serve him only. Jesus didn't have to gain anything in this world to prove who he was. And you don't have to be someone in this world to have value either. Who are you? Hopefully your definition's changed. Hopefully your answer to that question has changed. Are you what you do? Are you your mistakes? Are, your, are you your weaknesses? Are you your accomplishments? Or are you simply a beloved child of the Father? Because that's the truth of who you are. At the end of that video that we watched, it says this statement, when I see myself as God sees me, I walk in confidence because I trust in the one who answers the question, who am I? His banner written over you is beloved, loved one, pleased with. I delight in you. It's love, love, love. That's the banner written over you, but often we live with this banner over our heads of failure, mistake, sinner, right? We don't live with a banner of love. If we live in our true identity as being his beloved child, I am so much more free to love other people. When I realized how loved I am in spite of myself, in spite of my stuff, I'm free to pass on that love to others because it's a free gift. My pail actually becomes full and overflowing with, his, with the love of the Father, and it begins to spill over into other people's lives. His perfect love casts out the fear I have that grips us, that fear of being good enough, that fear of approval, that fear of rejection, that fear of disappointing people, of being misunderstood. All of that is cast out when you realize that I am loved by my Father no matter what, whether I mess up today or don't mess up today whether I get success or don't get success, I am loved by my Father. Because I know who I am 
but more importantly, I know whose I am. And that changes everything. So the worship team is going to come up, and we're just going to have an opportunity to just soak in God's love for you. Hannah's doing a new song called Lean Back. And it's just, I just want to encourage you to allow the Spirit of God to just bring revelation to your heart. We know this in our head. <laughs> we know this well in our head. But we need a revelation in our heart. That it's not about what we do. It's not about how we perform. It's not about what we accomplish. It's not about how people view us. It's not about what we gain in this world. Just let Jesus strip all that away and just show you. Open the sky, open the sky and hear the voice from heaven saying, you are my beloved daughter. You are my beloved son, whom I love and whom I am well pleased. So I just encourage you to close your eyes and let the Lord speak to you. <laughs>